0: Welcome to the new O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In our first episode, I sit down with Aaron Irizahi, product designer at NASDAQ. Aaron talks about NASDAQ's approach to design, how to run a productive design critique, and what it takes to keep a seat at the proverbial table once you've earned it. Enjoy the show. Hello, this is Mary Tressler. I'm here today with Aaron Irizahi designer at NASDAQ, co-author of Discussing Design with Adam Connor, releasing July 3rd, and a member of the program committee for O'Reilly's inaugural design conference. Aaron, thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's exciting.
0: So I'd like to start off with you just telling folks a little bit about your background and what you do at NASDAQ.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, So I've just kind of worked in some way or another um, in design-related fields, probably since the late 90s. You know, everything from starting out, figuring out that um, my band needed a website to then allowing that to be kind of like my gateway into doing more work with um, just digital media, like start designing our shirts and all that kind of stuff. And before you know it, I realized that not only could I tour and be broke living in a van with other dudes i could also (laughs) i could also like use this new skill i was developing to possibly make a little bit of dough on the side and so that really helped me to be able to like dive in more and more to design it gave me a flexible schedule as far as being in a band and touring and doing those kind of things and then before you know it the the it just kind of the tables turned and i did less music and more design and the next thing you know i was doing no music and all design and so um you know had to stop doing the music as a family and stuff but uh it's uh, so that was kind of how I got into it, and kind of just worked my way through just different aspects of you know design, and eventually really d- dug into more of the user experience aspect of things, and just understanding the how and why about you know of everything. Why are we building the things we build, and and the how and why of people using them, and the responses that we get from them, and and why they make certain choices, and that became like a huge snowball for me. And I really dove into that, and so uh, over time to make it shorter, I just kind of. Worked my way just through the community, meeting people, which is kind of great because then, you know, when someone needs, you know, someone to come work on their team, you know, from conferences, things like that. And uh, ended up meeting my boss, Chris Avore at some events and kind of, you know, talking through Twitter and the internets and all that stuff. And uh, got a call a couple of years back that he wanted me to, to join his team. And so, so I did. And I'm, I'm almost, uh, this February, I'll be there about three years now at NASDAQ. And I've gone from just being a, a product designer to a senior product designer. Now I'm the uh, director of user experience for our product design team. And so it's been a, it's been a fun ride. It's been a very quick ride, Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but with that, it's been, it's been a a lot of interesting experiences, both uh, where things have gone really well. And and, and in my, in my past with different um, jobs and things, they've not gone so well. And so learning from those and moving forward, I think has equipped me well to kind of end up where I am today um, by luck and and good friends.
0: Wow. That's a great story. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how NASDAQ approaches design? Um, I know you can't give away you know trade secrets here, but just in <laughs> terms of how they view design, how they treat design, I'd love to, I think I would love to hear a lot about it, and I'm, I'm sure others would too.
1: Yeah, this is a really fun question because um, I, early in my career and a lot of designers and people who work in technology would probably relate to this. If I told people that I've made websites, um, they asked me two questions. Well, the first one is what do you really do for work and then the second one is can you fix my computer. And so I that's now changed for me. Now that I work at Nasdaq and I tell people I work at Nasdaq as a director of user experience they're like what do you do at Nasdaq? And so you know so my initial response is like I just sit in the back and print money. But and, and they're like really? I'm like no, not at all. That's horrible. <laughs> but um What really drew me into NASDAQ was I was already working at a larger corporation. I was working at HP, and uh, I just felt like it was time for what's next, and I was thinking more towards something like an an agency or um, probably not a startup. I had done that already. wanted something a little more in-house where design had a a larger role, and um, when Chris Ivory talked to me about joining him, I was a little nervous about joining another big corporation because oftentimes large orgs don't really understand and value design as much as designers would like them to. And so he... He pitched me and I, and I bought in and um, what's really been interesting the three years there, almost three years that I've been there, is that there are definitely times when things aren't easy and there are tougher conversations, but it's really interesting to see an organization that didn't have a product design team as of, what, 2011, I believe, and see the need for that, bring someone in, hire them to establish a team, which is my boss, Chris, and then see just the transition and the growth within the company and how they embrace product design. I mean, it definitely doesn't like we walked in with our, you know, tight designer jeans and black glasses <laughs> and they were just like, you guys are geniuses, do whatever you want. You know, we had to work a lot and really educate and pit. And in the beginning, like explained to them the value of the certain aspects of our job we were doing, whether that was research, usability testing, um, why we were wanting to do more design in the browser, browser and rapid prototyping and things like that, hmm. but it wasn't just the pitching, but we had to deliver. And what was really cool is that the more we delivered, the more we built equity within the company to be able to kind of have more of a say. And, you know, you hear a lot of talk right now in the enterprise design space about like getting a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a really interesting thing. And I think it's a really good goal to have. But I think what has really helped us is that we didn't just focus at getting a seat at the table. We focused on what to do when we have that seat and how we keep that seat mm-hmm. and bring others to the table as well. And so that has really helped establish a great approach to product design. Like we really believe that we're helping structure and build. And we, I think we still have work to do, uh, a, a design-led organization where, you know, when we recently did our pro-design conference in New York, you know, we our opening speaker was the president of NASDAQ. And to hear her reference the design team's research and to be in marketing meetings and discussing the personas that we created and to hear the president of NASDAQ speak about these kind of artifacts and items that we feel are crucial to design design process, mm-hmm. it was like a mark for us we're like, okay, we're really starting to make a mark here. We're starting to show the value of what these things are, not just because we want design, but we, we believe that this, this approach to design is going to be really good for the product and in the end good for the business. And so um, that's how we approach we. Where we work as rapid as we can. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to say agile or lean or lean agile or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> we just get in there. We work as efficiently as we can. We, we try to establish really solid communication. We try to establish a lot of inclusion. So when we're doing research, we're including our, our product managers any executives, anybody we can who's willing to be a part, even developers, which I believe is really key in this process, to be a part of the research or to like review the findings with us. Um, a part of usability testing, going and visiting clients and doing interviews—all of that stuff—we try to include everybody. Any artifacts we get through that, we you know, we definitely document them. We put them in good summaries. We share them out to the team. Mm-hmm. We try to do things. We involve all of our product owners and things like design studio. So we do collaborative activities with them. It's not just like designs off in our little design room with our luchador masks having fun, and then we go show them a bunch of stuff. <laughs> we invite them in. We really try to work with them and make that process work. And I think. For us, it's working really, really well. And our team has gone from one person in 2011 to we're probably about 26 people right now. And so we've been growing and the needs of the company are growing. And as a result, we're getting more opportunities to educate um, the people, you know, the different people we work with. And we get so many great insights because one thing that NASDAQ has a lot of is data, right? So it's Mm -hmm. not like we can just walk in and we're designing all this interfaces with data to show people information about stocks and and measurements, you know, we really have to be careful about what we show. So gathering information and relying on the field knowledge of our product owners to help inform our design as well is been crucial for us. And so it's, I think that's part of the things that have kind of helped us get to where we are now.
0: Sure, sure. Wow, that's a great story. It sounds like a fun place to work. I'd say, you know.
1: Yeah. I-, I mean. To be fair, it's not to wear like rose here. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's hard sometimes. It's very difficult, but the challenges are so worth it because you know that everyone is kind of facing those same challenges. And for the most part, we're doing what we came to facing together.
0: Right. Right. Well, and you bring up, you raise a really interesting point that when you hear people say designers a seat at the table, and then you know there was just an article out about you know how people are uh, designers are floundering when they get a seat at the table, yeah. but you you really focus on you know if you want a seat at the table, like act as if you have a seat at the table to some degree, and think about how you what what is it you're trying to accomplish.
1: Right, and so I mean, think about it, like what worries me about the, that phrase getting a seat at the table. Is that it's like this moment? It's like we're waiting for this shining moment where we're finally going to get our recognition, right? And I think that's good. We should all be recognized for the work we do. And when the executives and the people that are further up in the company start to understand design, product design, and what we're doing, there's nothing wrong with any of that. That's great. Or that means we're doing something right. But what are you going to do when you get at that seat at the table? Are you going to go talk to them and be like, design, design, design? You know, are we going to push? our agendas and what we think is best as designers, or do we even understand the nature of the game? Mm -hmm. Especially in an enterprise situation, this isn't like Disneyland for designers. This is about (laughs) trade-offs. You know what I mean? This is about learning how to communicate and work with people in a way that you know, like, you know what? I don't agree with that, but I don't think this is the right battle to fight right now. Mm -hmm. I understand that if I agree to find a compromise and work with this person, then I'm building equity with them. I'm building this kind of relationship with them where when I do speak up and I do want to kind of take more of a stand on something, they say, you know what, that person's been fair. They've worked with me. They know their stuff. Like, you know, now, now the onus is on them to come back and work with me mm-hmm. and show that same compromise. So getting a seat at the table is one thing, but understanding what to do when you're there and how to work with people in a way that allows you to keep that seat at the table mm-hmm. is way more important. Cause what are you going to say? I mean, you're going to post a Twitter that you told the executives what to do and they listened. Awesome. <laughs> Well, guess what? In two more years, when you're posting about needing a new job, I'll still be sitting at the table working with people much better because I learned that not design doesn't matter as much as far as like doing what's right in design or what the community thinks is the best way to handle something. Do what's best for the organization. Work with the people in a way that that makes the product better, makes them feel better about the work that's being done, and you're going to have much more longevity sitting at that table.
0: Hmm. That's great advice. That frankly, I haven't heard before. So. Um... <laughs> So thank I you. Of,
1: I kind of just made it up.
0: Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that's, that's just
1: a, I have just learned from making that mistake. I've been the know-it-all designer who has you know run his mouth in, enough to run it out, run himself right out of a job early in my career. And I just <laughs> kind of made it mental note not to do that again.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's great. So I have sort of a, the next question is an odd one, but um, I'm curious as to how you define design because i think it's it's an interesting conversation piece for sure
1: that's the million dollar question right there right right let's see let's see if we can start a twitter fight right now exactly (laughs) ux is not ui which is not uh visual design which is not research which is not wireframes which is not prototyping right guys it's all the same i mean to me look design is really, I think I like what your school says often about the rendering of intent. I think that's a that's a good definition that's abstracted from the idea of specifics about practice within design. For me, design has always just been building things to meet needs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's and I tend to oversimplify things because I'm not like I don't have a bunch of like smarty pants degrees and stuff. And if, you know, it's cool if people do. It's just I never ended up with them. Um, So for me, it's just like, how is the best way to simplify this so I understand it best? To me, it's just like when I'm designing things, it's like I'm making things to meet needs. And so that's why I like that our team at NASDAQ, um, none of us, I mean, yeah, my title is like direct of user experience or whatever, but that's actually a task that I have within my job. But everyone on the team, we're we're product, we associate ourselves as product designers because in the course of the work we do, Mm -hmm. we may be doing research, we may be doing usability testing, we may be facilitating, you know, critique sessions, design studios. We may be prototyping. We may be stepping in and doing some some visual design in an app like Sketch or Photoshop just to help convey some ideas. We may be putting together presentation decks to help our our executives go out to events like the Neri Conference and pitch this new platform com- that we have coming out. So our role is so so different. And in any given month, you can do four or five different things. That you can see someone on Twitter say, "Well, that's not design; that's research." Right. To me, it's a part. Of, research is a part of design; it's equally as important. Mm-hmm. So is you know development is too. I mean, I don't know the development in itself. I'm not going. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that it is design. That's something for another time. But all these components work together to make something that meets a need, not only for um, a business but for the person who's using it. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of how I view design.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: call it what you want: UX, UI
0: right right
1: well that's really high level and people will probably get pissed that i but i put it that way but i i kind of don't care
0: no i think (laughs) i well i'm glad you don't care because i think it's um it's as you're you're starting a theme here with these answers which is you're you're inclusive um you know you're inclusive about teams you're inclusive about how you look at you know the the role of designers but i agree with you it's um you don't necessarily see teams that have, frankly ha- are that large that everyone has a specialty and can focus on a specialty alone. Yeah, so,
1: absolutely. You know, yeah, Our team, what's interesting about our team is that, you know, we all, people would label that as like generalists, right? We all do a little bit of everything. But within that structure of that team, those who have specific skill sets mm-hmm. who are like really great at code or have primarily been a researcher or are really good on just working with customers in a usability testing setting, they have the opportunity to write up and like rise up and lead those types of efforts within the team. And then also we established a mentor program where we have peer-to-peer mentoring. And so if another team member was like, wow, you know, I'm usually just coding and building out prototypes and designing, but I'd love to learn more about research, then they have that opportunity to learn from that person where that's their core skill set. So we don't do away with like being a specialist, but, um, we allow for it in the right context until as to like what we're building.
0: Interesting. Wow. That's fantastic. I'd love to talk more at some point about the peer to peer mentoring too. Um, yeah. let's, let's talk a little bit about your book. So you wrote discussing design, which is coming out July 3rd. Um, yeah. I'd love for you to tell us what prompted you to write it. <laughs>
1: um, first, yeah, I mean, when Adam and I started this content, it's really funny how this kind of started in that, um, you know the design community we're all on twitter or we were in little skype side chats or whatever and you know we're going to events and adam and i both like i just seems you know it's weird it started for me is like i always just kind of felt like people critique was just kind of a, a missed concept in general whether it was in art or music or design it just was more about like telling people what to fix and or if you've ever been to school and you have like a you're in an art program or any type of creative program and and you have the critique sessions it's like the, the instructors trying to like toughen you up by giving you like harsh <laughs> critique and like now I'm preparing you for the real world. And it's, I mean, yeah, maybe like, I'm sure there's a lot of other ways to just kind of like toughen up than to get yelled at and made cry in a class or something. But you know, it's like, I just feel like something was off about how people talk and just even in my own work, just working with teams and, and clients independently. And just like, you know, when someone says even things that were positive, like, Oh, I love it. Cool. So what do you want me to do with that? Right. Uh, what do you love about it? Why do you love it? Um, is there something about it that like makes you as the client happy? Because I'm meeting some need for you. Like I need to understand this because one, I want to keep doing whatever you're loving, um, and but then I also want to avoid things that conflict with that. And then, then I started seeing what kind of weirds transition to me, kind of in a get off my lawn kind of mode, where I was watching Twitter and everybody just kind of, you know, something new comes out. You know, and then everybody bashes it a bunch on Twitter. i like, oh, da, da, da. And I always joke about every time Apple does an event. And then next thing you know, all, you know, all of my friends on Twitter are instantly like Apple product design experts. And they're like talking about how the icons are bad or the new font is horrible and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, when did you ship a freaking iPhone? <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> these guys are doing crazy awesome work. And when was the last time you sat in one of their meetings when they had to figure this stuff out? you don't have the context to understand what's going on. And so uh, the more these different scenarios popped up and then Adam and I still were just kind of pals through Twitter and we had a common friend, Whitney Hess, and we were both kind of talking to her about that uh, at the same time. And um, she was like, you know, you guys should probably stop talking to me and talk to each other <laughs> because you're both kind of griping at me about the same thing. You should, should connect. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know, Adam, so we talked and then we're going to like write a blog post about it, uh, about just critique and how we thought maybe it had kind of lost its way a bit. And then... That Turned into a conference proposal submission and for the IA summit in 2011, which then turned into an accepted talk and then like a bunch of talks over and over and over. And I eventually just kind of became I don't know if that's the natural progression, I don't know what the progression of these things are, but it was like almost a blog post, which the blog post didn't happen for a really long time, even after we already were doing the talks. <laughs> we, I don't think we've even updated our blog in a long time, but like there was like our blog post idea then it was the talks then it was workshops and we started doing workshops for larger groups we've done them for larger companies like google and usaa and it started growing and growing and then eventually there was this kind of the idea of the book like Roosevelt popped the idea into our head that we should do like a smaller size book i think it'd be really helpful for teams and we started like a book proposal and it sat for a long time and then we just kind of got to it it just i don't know if it was a natural progression i'm i'm not sure if adam's thoughts on it are the same as mine um, sometimes it's a little bit of a blur when these things happen, <laughs> <laughs> especially to me because I don't ever feel like I'm that qualified to do some of these things. So I'm like, how did I actually get this book? Where did this come from? I just think it was more of a progression. And We started seeing the need. I think one of the things that struck me was we saw a need. The more workshops we did, and the more work- like at events, like Jared's events at UI, like 17 and 18, those events, and then seeing the uh, response from teams and companies as we do workshops with them, mm-hmm. we almost kind of thought, man. What can we do to explore some of the ideas that we touch on briefly in the talk in the presentation some more, as well as almost give people like a handy reference manual um, as they're trying to establish a better practice for discussing designs within their teams, or with their clients, you know, within the over organizations overall? And then that's kind of what really kind of lit more fire under the book, I guess.
0: Interesting. Okay. Well, can you talk a little bit about some of the lessons that you've learned through the years of design critiques? I mean, whether they're you know the uh, good or bad. Yeah, I mean.
1: One of the most important ones, and I think it's kind of funny. Adam and I always joke about this in our slide deck when we do this talk. Is that like we this phrase um, "think before you speak" comes up probably like every other slide. <laughs> <laughs> What's so silly about it is like it, that's just like a common, probably good life rule, <laughs> but it's translated into this thing about like receiving critique and building products and design. We've kind of realized that critique kind of has a lot of overlap with those kind of like life skills, just like listening to advice, not being defensive. Those types of things kind of translate and overlap. And, uh, you know, the ones I think were important to me was like never take it personal, even if someone else is making it seeming to make it personal. Because, Hmm. you know, we work in companies and it can get all like house of cards and political and (laughs) and people are going to be upset because their design didn't get chosen or this Product owner just wants so much control that they do this or, you know, the the CEO or the VP or whoever feels like they have to be so much in charge that they shoot your work down. Or there's a million reasons why people may come across as harsh or seem like they're making it a personal attack on your work. And as designers, we get incredibly defensive and protective of our work. Mm-hmm. and So that's a kind of a tough line to walk. So one of the things I learned is just don't take things personally, even if someone else is. Um, and yeah, as kind of like a second part of that even if they are being kind of an ass or making it personal, like they could still have a valid point. And mm-hmm. That's like one of the hardest pills to swallow because you don't want to validate that person totally being a jerk to you, but just say, okay, cool. Thanks for the feedback, write it down, move on or dig deeper, ask more questions. Well, wow. What is it that made you, you know, come to that conclusion? You know, is there something specific you can show me kind of dig some more information out of there, um, And you never know, revisit it later when you're not in that heat of the moment, which Mm -hmm. I think is pretty good advice in general is like when you're really upset, it's never really good to respond to a lot of things Mm -hmm. because more times than not, you're just putting fuel on the fire in in a bad way. So um, there's that. I think, you know, really just the whole thing of taking it personal, just listening. It's so hard to listen. Listening is probably one of the hardest things in the world to do. I think it's because the way our brains work, that when you start telling me something or even maybe in a critique setting, maybe you're giving me a little bit of feedback on the work that we're reviewing about maybe some type of menu navigation or maybe how this form works or this, you know, checkout flow in an e-commerce situation. And I instantly start, I latch onto what you've said and I instantly start, either you know, thinking of ways to justify why I made that decision or explaining how that's actually not right because my way is better. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a common thing we do. And it's even in a positive way. You're talking to someone and maybe they start talking about a movie that you like. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that was my favorite. And, you're, and the next thing you know, you're interrupting somebody. And so it's just this weird natural response we have as people to like listening is a very difficult thing to do and so really i've tried to get into if, if we're going to do that more of an active listening where mm-hmm. when someone starts to say something like okay cool so i i really just want to make sure i understand you here you said you were concerned that xyz may not be a good flow for the user or whatever the situation is um can you explain a little bit more to me about that like you know this persona really wants to accomplish this how do you feel that affects that negatively kind of just keep the dialogue going and and just making sure that you not only are listening to them, but then to take that to the second level, and make sure you really understand the feedback they're giving you. Because one thing I've learned in, in companies with so many different people, like we have 26 people on our product design team, and we're all, for the most part, very, very different. Um, and you know, we all come from different backgrounds. We have different experience levels. We've gone to different schools or worked at different companies. And so all of that weighs into your experience and the lens through which you approach <coughs> design. And so you may say a certain term. And I may say that same term, but we understand it two different ways. Mm -hmm. The whole princess bride thing about that thing you said, (laughs) I don't think it means what you think it means. Like that's really (laughs) very common. And so it's really good to make sure that we understand what the person is getting at, you know, and and if you can really do those things, keep it cool, not get offended. You really have a good chance to just have like really solid conversations Mm -hmm. about the designs that you're working on.
0: That's perfect. And you get bonus points for the princess bride quote. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> just watched it with my daughters this last week. Oh, what a great one! What a great one! Um, it's interesting because you're right. It sounds like a lot of common sense, but it's very hard to 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 remember when you're in the moment, for sure. Exactly. exactly. Um, you, how do you train non designers to provide critiques? Is it different from working with designers because of the background issue? Or tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit different, only because, you know, you got to step back from it and also say, okay, like, how are they viewing design? And actually, this is a great – I believe it would be a great exercise for designers who've got a pretty good established – uh, grasp on critique and critique practice from their teams to try to train someone who's not a designer on critique because you can't walk in there using all this designer lingo, right? right. If you're lucky, they may know a few buzzwords like make it responsive or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or something. They may know a few things here and there like Internet of Things, right? You know I mean? <laughs> so they, they don't speak that same language and they, they may not speak it with the same understanding. And so what they'll, you know, it's what you better to do is start to talk to them about things and in, in what they understand. So if it's like a product manager or a product owner, talk to them about, you know, met, start start thinking about in light of, okay, they're thinking about customers. They're thinking about metrics. Okay. Um, they, you know, they may have some ideas about color. They may have some ideas about like color theory or what they think are good designs they've seen. Maybe even talk to them about those designs and what they liked about them. Mm-hmm. So just they get into the practice of um, describing what they liked about a design, and and why, and how they felt like something similar would be beneficial in our design. Um, one practice that we've done is, and Adam and I both recommend, is to um, practice these kind of principles of critique that we've done in the presentation or in the book by getting your team together, including your product designers um, and your your product owners and your whoever else in the team, your project manager, who else is going to be there, and critique your competitors' product using the same guidelines. Mm. Now. One area that's kind of off about that is that it will just make it a little hard because obviously the person who designed it is not there. So you can't really ask what they were thinking, but just getting used to having those types of conversations Mm -hmm. and talking about things just gets everybody in the flow. And really, you know, critique really just comes down to like practicing talking with the people that you're going to talk with. Learn their kind of, you know, you'll be able to learn their body language when they're kind of either irritated or intimidated or, or excited, but then also learn just the words they use and what they mean to them and learn the ways that they respond to communication positively. And so it's really like almost doing user research on the people you're gonna work with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just, even just get to know them on a personal level, go to a happy hour, go to lunch, just weird little things like that that wouldn't be considered part of design, really start to establish those personal relationships and you start to understand more about how that person kind of functions so you can better have conversations. And you know, like, you know what, they do know some design, but some principles of like, we start talking about user experience and like, here's your evaluations, They might get a little lost there. So let's bring that back down a little bit and talk more about like, okay, here's what we want to do for the customer. What happens when you see this and that makes you think if that won't work well for them? You just kind of really bring it down to simplicity because, you know, big terms are awesome. Being smart is really cool. But like, I I support all that stuff. And when we're designers, it's easy to get caught up in using a lot of the terms we're used to. but. Breaking it down to the plain and simple language to help someone else understand it is actually a great design principle and a great principle for communication, especially when teaching people who are unfamiliar with critique, mm-hmm. how to critique and even do some education up front. I mean, don't even throw them in, but like if you have the resources, if you, you know, not to pump the book, but if you have the book or something like that, you know, go and talk with them, share it with them, see if they have the opportunity to have some conversations about how some of the practices within there could be helpful to the team. And kind of do that groundwork ahead of time mm-hmm. and then have some sessions and critique and then kind of re- have a little bit of like a retro afterwards and see how it went and what they can improve. And you know, it's really just kind of working with people to get to know how they work and, and kind of prepping them for what critique is. Because um, I think every- at some point in life, whether we understand it or not, everybody's probably got critique on something. Right. Right. So, the, so the, the, the dynamics kind of there underlying, we just kind of have to dig it up and put it into a uh, proper framework to make the conversations go smoothly.
0: Mm, I agree with you. I mean, as I was starting to work on your book, that's what struck me was everybody needs, this is not just for designers. Everybody needs right. this skill set because I see it at work all the time, whether I'm working with a design group or another group, or maybe somebody's critiquing my work. Um, it's being able to approach it with, in a certain mindset so that you're, you know, you, you're building understanding and trust and, and better communication.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, and the, one of the key things that is just removing yourself from the process. So like, mm-hmm. what's, what am I trying to accomplish here? Whether it's a book or whether it's some designs or whether it's a set of meetings or an event that you're putting on or whatever it is, what's the end game? What are we trying to get to? Okay. Let's make sure the conversations we have lead us in a direction it's what's best for that. And Mm -hmm. so I remove myself out and make that thing the focus.
0: Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I was just reading um, the Ed Catmull book, the creativity book, and he said Uh something like, remember one thing, you're not your idea. And that's so hard to to really kind of live in the moment for when somebody comes back to you and says they don't like something (laughs) about something you've done.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, So talk to me a little bit about who your design heroes are. Or do you have Mm -hmm. any?
1: Oh, it's interesting. I have people I like a lot. Um, <laughs> I, <and> it, <clears throat> excuse me, my, uh, my answer to that may not be as designery as we hoped. I mean, there's definitely designers who approach their work that I absolutely love. I mean, one person I've always learned a lot from, uh, was, uh, Steven Anderson. He's done a lot of cool stuff. I've always learned a ton from him. Kevin Hoffman is a guy who I just absolutely love and does a lot of cool stuff with all of this meetings and communication. There's a lot of overlap there. <clears throat> there's so many great people who in the design community. Um, Well, I look at their work and sometimes it's not even like their work is good, but it's their approach to their work that I really appreciate. Mm. um, And I think they're awesome. For me, though, I draw a lot of my inspiration like away from the design community. So for me, I I, like being in a band. I still love music. So I, you know, there's certain musicians that I really am drawn to for their for their work and their approach to their work. Um,
0: Like? like that.
1: Uh, so for me, I mean, like, especially because I was in a metal band that toured a lot. There's a there's a band called Mastodon, and, and Brett Hines, a guitar player, just has a very carefree and fun attitude. He's an amazingly talented guitar player, hmm. but he has a very he doesn't take himself too seriously. You know, he's not like I'm in a metal band. I'm super dark, <laughs> and cool, and tough. He's like a complete goofball, like a, a dude with like ginger hair and beard and like a face tattoo, and he's just goofy. But he's amazingly talented, and he's amazingly driven to create great music. And he's not afraid to try new things. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely stoked on that guy. Um, absolutely love his work, you know. So um, things like that I find inspiration in. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what else. Like,
0: I don't know. I might
1: have to, I might have to think on that more. Yeah. Next year, but no, it's, it's,
0: just, it's and interesting. I'll,
1: I'll, <laughs> I'm on that I will latch into anyone who's doing anything um, in a creative way that's driven like for instance uh, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters I'm not a huge Foo Fighters fan I mean they have a couple of songs that that I was like okay with but did that whole Sonic Highways thing on HBO where they went to all these different cities and recorded music and paid paid homage to the music that came out of that area Mm -hmm. just seeing the creative process they put into their work and how they did things and how they wanted to make sure that the people who influenced music in that area got recognized I was like Dude, that's awesome. How great would it be to see something of that more in our design community, Mm -hmm. working on projects where we understand the path that was kind of set before us by maybe different people in different fields or with different skill sets kind of did some awesome groundwork, and maybe not everybody knows who they are, but we do know why we do certain things. We realized, oh, wow, that's the person who kind of led the charge to do design that way. You know, it'd be cool to see that kind of surfacing and, and that kind of educational value to our community.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So are there people or projects or even organizations that are grabbing your attention these days?
1: Um, besides NASDAQ, because it's pretty <laughs> much got all my attention. <laughs> it's like, no, Um Ooh, that's a that's a really good question. I should have thought about that one a lot more. I thought I had an answer initially when I read these, but. Um
0: that's okay. I mean, I think some people, you know, from conversations I've had, some people are interested in some of the wearables. Some people are interested yep. in organizations that are trying to do, frankly, what Nasdaq has done, yeah. which is incorporated into the into the culture, the DNA of the the yeah. organization. But um, yet others, to just give you a sense, have have talked about um, the the people that haven't quite made the radar yet. Um,
1: yeah. So. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's like, I definitely like the Enterprise UX conference I thought was brilliant. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people involved in that and the companies they work for are awesome. I love what they're doing. Uh One thing that really has been catching my attention this week, a giant conference has been going on. Mm -hmm. And I actually had, because I'm moving, I I wasn't able to attend and speak. So Adam had to do it by himself because I'm I'm surrounded in boxes and I'm trying to get (laughs) ready to move across the country (laughs) for some crazy reason here. Um, And uh, just watching over time, the three guys who put that on, the care they put into that conference, the thought they put into that conference, and their own personal stamp. Like I know those guys just through the community and being at events with them and I know the music they like. We actually like a lot of the same music. And just seeing kind of their approach and the way they've really tried to make a really great event. And just then watching the social feeds on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do see that. Like it's only the second year in the conference, but I could really see that conference being some a conference that really starts to make uh, a big, big mark on the community. Like mm-hmm. Especially, I think it is now already, but I could even see it more so as it continues to move on because the three guys doing Giant Conference are doing amazing work and they really are making it about making sure that you know there's tons of people speaking that I'd never heard of which made me instantly fall in love with the conference mm-hmm. because it wasn't all the same not that I don't mind it but there's a lot of great people speaking all the time but you know I've seen that so who else am I missing what else what's new out there that I can find like you said what new up and coming you know person has got some great insights to share and i think they're discovering that and then also making it a very fun cultural experience you know down in south carolina and I don't know. I just, I'm really excited to see what comes from that event and hopefully uh, some of the newer events. Cause I love all the events we have now. I wish I could go to all of them all the time, but I have a job. (laughs) And that's my job eventually becomes like tour instead of music and just tour and do conferences. And, you know, I I don't go to a lot of them, but it's also really cool to see the next kind of like wave of conferences coming up and and kind of how they're meeting needs of of people in our, that do our type of work and, and giving them opportunities as well to just meet other people and Mm -hmm. break through any kind of maybe circles or clicks and just get people hanging out, talking about stuff and having fun.
0: Right. Again, back to that inclusiveness. Um, Yeah. We're all in the same gang. Yeah, exactly. In
1: some way or another, we're all doing something that's related or overlapped, even though the specifics may not be there, like, and it only benefits us to work with one another and include each other, because even if it doesn't benefit something immediately, someone will find benefit and value from it down the road. It's it's inevitable. It can't be stopped.
0: Absolutely. I agree with you. And I I do think it's interesting what they're doing, Giant Conf. I mean, it's an interesting, the design of a conference, you know, um, and how they've really worked to build that out um so as well as our own conference so yes i'm uh, so excited yeah so um one last question what advice what advice would you give to designers who are maybe junior designers or maybe they don't consider themselves junior but they're in the first maybe five to ten years of their careers
1: yeah um be cool stay hungry um people (laughs) kind of joke with me when they come to my house because if the kids are acting up or something i'm just like hey be cool and they're like what are, ta- what are you telling your kids to be cool? But, you know, you know, Aaron has one rule. Be cool. What If what you're doing does not follow with him being cool, that means don't pick on your sister. That means don't take stuff that isn't yours. Just And just take things easy. Don't have to stress out about everything. And I kind of made that rule for myself starting because I have, tend to be a stress case and get anxiety over things all the time. Mm-hmm. I just had to tell myself, like, be cool. Just take it easy. Like, things are going to work themselves out. And I think being young, you kind of want to come in. And just like save the world with design and change all the things and show everybody how great you are, which all are great motive, like great things to have in the forefront of your mind. But just be cool, get in there, work hard, hustle. Just be be cool to people. Don't be a pretentious a hole. Like, just, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know if these are like super. This isn't like anything prolific here. I'm not. I'm not like any type of philosopher. It's kind of just like work hard. Don't suck at life and ask a lot of questions. Seek out a mentor. That could be one of the real serious things to say would be to seek out a mentor, someone who you feel comfortable talking with, who will give you honest feedback. You don't want like a yes man as your mentor. You want someone who will say like, hey, that, was, that I wouldn't take that that way. I understand why you might approach that, but here, let's think about this. And we'll give you direction and guidance and work with you to help kind of, kind of tackle some of those things. Because a lot of the designers coming out of school in the last so many years aren't getting taught a lot of things outside of just, technical design skills a lot of what people would call soft skills which i i don't call them i call them core skills um you know things like communication critique working in teams what to do when you submit your very first design and someone comes in and craps all over it like how do you handle those situations they don't teach you any of that stuff right mm-hmm. in school so you know find a mentor find someone who will help you establish some of those skills when you get out there in the wild and someone you can also just talk to and say like hey Am I doing this right because we don't have all the answers and even my old self does doing this as long as I have I don't have all the answers and I'm sure everybody who works with me would be the first to tell you that <laughs> it's, a, it's a continual growth process and, and it's okay to be wrong it's absolutely okay to be wrong as long as you own it mm-hmm. and make sure that you in part of the owning it process isn't just saying I was wrong but it is also saying okay how do I learn from this to make sure that you know if I was wrong how do I correct that to make sure that I'm not wrong in that way again mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's and that's what I say. It comes down to like being open and being cool and being hungry for for things. You know, like go out there and get it. Don't be afraid to put your work out there either. Don't wait till your work is perfect to put it out there. Mm. Just throw it out there. Get get your feedback on it. It's never going to be perfect. You know, it's if you wait, if you if you don't put work out that you're embarrassed of, you're doing something wrong because because it's never going to be perfect. And if you just wait until it's perfect, you're probably not going to launch anything.
0: Yeah, and I would I would argue that it the only way to get it to be better is to put it out there and get that feedback.
1: Exactly. Kind of that whole critique thing. Someone should write a book on that. Someone
0: should totally write a book on it. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for, um, for taking the time to talk with me today. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: Aaron can be reached through his Twitter handle at Aaron I. Thank you for joining us. And remember to subscribe to the O'Reilly design podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud. So you never miss an episode.